Hello everyone, this is Terry Mitchell with The Voice on Fire Interviews with Intention. For those of you who may not have followed along before, my platform is an opportunity for me to interview some pretty amazing people anywhere in my local community or around the world. And I see them as being change agents. They're difference makers, they're action takers, and they're people that are on a mission to in some way have a positive impact locally or in our global village. And I think my, my next guest, I think it's timely that I'm actually chatting with her today because the topic around personal well-being in our current climate, I think is really, really timely indeed. Michelle Martin-Webb, it's lovely to join, have you join me on The Voice on Fire. I'm here now, yes. I'm very excited to be here. Fantastic. Awesome. So what I'd love for our audience to find out today is a little bit about what you do, who you do it for, and why you do it. So share with the audience what it is that you do in line with our, our topic about uh, healthy and health, well, health and well-being. Of course. Um, so I'm a yoga and meditation teacher, as well as a tarot reader and a healing facilitator here in Northern California. Mm -hmm. I started my practice approximately five years ago, and I really decided about three years ago to focus on trauma-informed yoga and focusing on how to heal trauma within ourselves. Uh, because I feel like as a society, we move into a space where we focus our difficulties in, especially in Western society, in seeking advice from others, mm -hmm. uh, going to others to heal us, going to others to provide medication, advice, uh, rather than realizing that it's our own personal responsibility to work through those difficulties and those troubles and those issues. And not only that, but we, we do have the power within ourselves to change that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, oh, awesome. I totally agree. I mean, we, we do have a tendency to um, find others uh, as the source of advice. And quite often we don't end up taking the advice. And, and I wonder if that's because somewhere within us we kind of know but we just haven't tapped into that energy. What's your take on that? I feel like there's a lot of fear involved in really diving down deep within ourselves and looking within ourselves for the answers that exist. Mm -hmm. So naturally, as human beings, we look for the connection within others to try to find the source of the healing and the source of the trauma um, and look for the advice of others to kind of root through those deeper issues rather than realizing that if we do the heavy lifting, if we do the deep work ourselves, the change will be much more lasting mm -hmm. and the healing will be much deeper. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there is that need to connect you, right? We are humans and we, we generally speaking, for want of a, a better word, we're sort of pack animals, so to speak. We're socially cohesive people. We, we tend to bond and work better in a socially cohesive environment. When it, when it comes to trauma, and you mentioned that you uh, use yoga as part of that healing transformation, tell us a little bit about that. How does that, how does that uh, evolve for you? Well, the principle of yoga in general, when it, when it was developed you know, thousands of years ago, initially there was one yoga pose and that was seated meditation. Mm -hmm. And the purpose was to focus the mind, gain clarity. And most people think that meditation is emptying the mind mm -hmm. and it is not. Uh, meditation is actually allowing all of the madness in the mind to come up to the surface, acknowledging it, uh, caring for it, loving it, holding it, and then gently releasing it so that you can be free from it. Mm 
Mm -hmm. uh, with yoga, yoga is a deeper form of meditation. So we use the postures in conjunction with the breath to find that deeper space of meditation. And with the practice that I follow, which is a power vinyasa practice, um, our practitioners and our students, they come to an area called our edge. So it's the space and the practice, and it can be in the very beginning, it can be in the very end, it can be in the most difficult pose, or it can be in complete stillness. But when we come to that edge, that edge is that moment where you feel that you can't go any further. Mm -hmm. You feel that you're really at that tip and you're just balancing and holding on by a thread. Well, when you come to that edge, something miraculous happens. If you face it head on, when you get to the other side of it, you have this overwhelming sense of release mm -hmm. and accomplishment and relief. And oftentimes as human beings, we're not in a space of allowing ourselves to be in discomfort. Mm -hmm. When the discomfort arises, our immediate response is to run away or step away. Mm -hmm. um, and yoga invites us to take it head on, to really just acknowledge what's in front of us and just face it head on and tackle it. Yeah, yeah. No, that, that's, that's such a, a great way of looking at it that a lot of the time you're right, we, my, at least my observations, and, and I come from not necessarily the, the yoga-based meditations, but certainly having explored, say, Tai Chi and things like that, it's, a, I suppose, similar principles in that obviously Tai Chi is more about a martial arts style, but it's still about focusing the mind. It's still about having control over the body and still about retaining a sense of inner control in a way that can be very, very positive if it's used as a, a I suppose, as a, a self-awareness technique. And in terms of, I guess, the experiences of the fear we face if, if something not very pleasant is either happening to us at the time or has happened to, to us in the past, that, that fear can seem quite overwhelming. And I guess that's probably why we do seek solace with others. Um, one, perhaps... We want to feel, I suppose, like we are similar to others. We belong. We have a group. There's people who relate to what we're going through. Um, but there's also, I suppose, that sense of numbing that sensation. We don't want to feel it. So if we're around other people, we can be distracted. We don't have to think about it. We don't go deep. We, we can stay nice and surface. Does that sort of sound, resonate with, with the uh, observations you've made in the practice of yoga? Oh, absolutely. I know so many of my students that come from spaces where they're experiencing, you know, trauma, where they're experiencing loss. And oftentimes they're looking to break the pattern and the cycle of numbing. And that numbing, mm -hmm. like you said, can be a social numbing where they're just using the uh, codependent relationships in order to uh, pass through the trauma while holding onto someone else. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people will use substances, will mm -hmm. use alcohol or even medication in order not to feel. But what we've been taught as a society is don't feel, shove mm -hmm. it down, push it away, get mm -hmm. past it. So you shove your feelings down deep and then you pick yourself up by the bootstraps and you keep moving. Um, the unfortunate problem with that is that oftentimes that trauma will resurface. So as we keep moving forward in life and experiencing triggers and experiencing smaller traumas, the deep, difficult stuff will come and bubble up to the surface and oftentimes have an explosive effect. Mm -hmm. And uh, I believe this is why as a society, we suffer from things like addiction, um, where especially here in the US, for example, the prison society here, there's a lot of youth in the prison society and they've been taught that that's the only place 
mm. that they can exist and belong. Mm. So these individuals, for the most part, have become so hardened with their emotions uh, that the only thing they know how to feel is rage. Mm. And that is just the tip of the iceberg of shoving trauma down deep and not allowing it to come to the service and deal with it. So I get a lot of people that come to me that say, well, I feel like I need some movement. I feel like Mm. I need just something. And they'll step into the yoga studio thinking that it's just a time for them to maybe get some exercise or do some breath work. But what they don't realize is the deep power of sitting in a space with yourself and being given permission to experience your emotions, Mm -hmm. being given permission to connect yourself, both body and breath and soul and spirit, and really allow those things to come up to the surface and acknowledge them in a safe environment, in a safe space. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that makes so much sense. And in terms of what you do, you mentioned that you do a particular power style, power vinyasa. What does that do? How is that a style of yoga? Explain a little bit more about that. Well, there's a couple of things. I, I, um, I teach a couple different formats. Power Vinyasa was originally what really ignited my passion and desire to become a teacher. And Power Vinyasa is a series of poses based on the practice of Ashtanga. Mm-hmm. So it's, um, it's a discipline very mm-hmm. much. And the principle behind Power Vinyasa is you move through the poses connecting one breath to one movement. Okay. So you're moving quite stif- swiftly. Mm-hmm. And in this swiftness of breath, you become very hyper-focused mm-hmm. and it's almost as though the posture, you don't even realize what you're doing physically. Mm-hmm. It becomes secondary to what you're experiencing mentally and emotionally. Mm-hmm. And as the physical asana becomes more difficult and as the physical aspect of the practice starts leading you to a place where you feel like perhaps you, you may not make it to the other side or, or you might collapse. It's in those moments that a lot of the time, the deep, deep trauma that we hold is released Mm -hmm. and it comes up to the surface and we experience it. Mm -hmm. So for me, power vinyasa has been very healing in that respect. Um, But that's just one of the yoga modalities that I have experienced to be deeply healing. Mm -hmm. More recently, I have noticed, especially since the pandemic, a lot of people have moved away from uh, quick practices, things that are swift pace. People want to slow down Mm -hmm. and things in a much softer gentler deeper way mm-hmm. which is tremendous because as a society we're taught go 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 always mm-hmm. on the move never taking rest never taking a moment to really just uh, care for ourselves lovingly self-care is always put on the back burner it's yeah. always secondary to work and to family and to responsibility um, so recently I've developed a practice this, it's called flow to feel mm-hmm. So it involves some deep uh, movement on the front end. We'll, we do some swift movement to get the heart rate up. Then there's some static poses held for extended periods of time to just really experience and strengthens the body, of course, uh, mm-hmm. and build strength. But it also allows you to sit in those moments of discomfort and really experience them. Mm-hmm. That is then coupled with a beautiful practice of yin yoga, mm-hmm. which are deep, poses generally they're on the floor they're held for three or more minutes and the poses are designed for myofascial release Um, and that then is finished with the practice of yoga nidra and yoga nidra is known as yogic sleep Mm 
-hmm. So it's a practice where you maintain consciousness throughout, but you're in a state where you're aware of your surroundings, but you're much deeper in yourself and in your body. Often yoga nidra starts with a body scan. Okay. It's really miraculous with the just a few minutes of paying attention to different areas in the body, how deeply you start to connect with yourself on an inner level. So at the end of the practice, you've experienced movement, you've experienced deep discomfort, Mm -hmm. and you've experienced much of a release. Mm -hmm. Uh, The practitioner often spends their day in reflection of what they might've come up with during the meditation periods. And oftentimes, you know, I tell people, don't be surprised if you go home and four hours from now, find yourself crying on the kitchen Mm. floor, Mm. perfectly normal, perfectly acceptable, and just honor those feelings. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I I completely agree with that. Something that you were mentioning there is, is that when you get sort of taken to that edge, there is that overwhelming sense of the fear that comes through of perhaps feeling I'm not capable. I I can't do this. And it's always those self-doubts and maybe not so much the doubts that you believe about yourself, but they're all the past traumas coming through where somebody else has probably traumatized you to believe that about yourself. You're not good enough. You're a failure. You're a disaster. You know, look at you, you know, all that mockery type stuff that comes from people around us, the put downs and all of that sort of stuff tends to sit very deeply within us, particularly if we we receive those traumas at an age where we're not mature emotionally to be able to process them. So we sit, they sit really heavily within us deep deep down and I notice within my own practices that if if I pay that attention I love you mentioning the body scan that's something that I do and when I do that body scan it's really a a, it's just such a a, a really tremendously uh, personal time where I just get to associate with my body and and find out where does my body need me where does my body need my attention and I will notice almost every time a particular sore spot or a tight spot and my practice and I'm wondering if this is something that um, is is fairly aligned with what you do is you kind of help people just to breathe and focus on that tight spot because that tight spot it needs it's holding something and it needs to be released and I'm wondering that fear that is fairly predominant in that experience as you say people go home and later on they'll be crying been there done that I have certainly gone through that experience myself and it is very overwhelming how how as a practitioner do you to kind of guide people through those moments is it is it something that is an ongoing practice and you uh, I take it that you perhaps do some sort of coaching through that or is your yoga simply the method of coaching Um, I coach throughout the practice very much from the beginning to the end. I generally, um, I try to veer away from what has become this uh, universally accepted Western standard of yoga, Mm -hmm. because I believe it's much more based on the physical movement and Mm -hmm. what occurs during that physical movement rather than the spiritual aspect of it. Mm -hmm. Um, And really, you know, the word yoga means to yoke. It means to it means community, it means unite. Mm -hmm. And so you're uniting your breath and your body and your soul during the practice. Um, I generally start the practice with offering an affirmation. Mm -hmm. So I'll have each of my students collect an affirmation on paper. Uh, I'll generally try to include all of the five senses. Mm -hmm. So that might be something as simple as offering 
an experience of essential oil and having mm -hmm. them put a drop on their hand and breathe it in mm -hmm. so that and I will let them choose. And sometimes it'll be things that are based in forest or flower. And I'll allow each student to choose that. Um, generally, I'll start the practice with a 10 minute meditation and first bringing their awareness to things that are very external, like the sounds in the street, mm -hmm. uh, the noise of the building next door, things like that, things that could be potentially distracting mm -hmm. and slowly give them permission and remind them that they're in a safe space to bring themselves more inward, mm -hmm. allowing those noises and the external sensations of perhaps the wind or the air conditioning or the sounds outside to fall away and really just notice what comes up without judgment, without any need to change or to push things away, just notice, notice and accept and gently release. Hmm. Um, a lot of times I will use the um, example of, of saying you're on a river and as you're in the stream, there is this thought that comes through in the stream and it will be of course your stream of consciousness and just hold it acknowledge it and then let it flow down the stream freely mm -hmm. because the stream's going to continue flowing it's up to you whether you choose to hold on to what comes to you or not mm -hmm. uh, and just constantly reminders mm -hmm. uh, i always remind people I, I find it's very difficult for people to close their eyes and it's very difficult for people to sit still mm -hmm. and that's the one thing that i notice the most of people don't want to close their eyes so I will give subtle cues instead of uh, asking people to close their eyes. I'll say things like uh, oftentimes the first sign of relaxation is the eyes begin to close. Mm. And it's, yeah. you know, so very subliminal in that yes. respect. Yeah. And then throughout, I'll notice people, uh, I'm, I'm very uh, conscientious of watching the expression on people's faces. I'll say if you're mm. holding tension in your jaw, maybe you press the tip of your tongue to the roof of your mouth and gently allow it to release mm. uh, and people usually follow with the cues yeah. when there's the moment of deep discomfort I always remind people that it's in that moment where change takes place mm. yeah. so I encourage them to find the discomfort find the area that they're experiencing pain or difficulty and just breathe into it mm. and of course we use a breath technique called you know pranayama and we have uh our inhalations and exhalations are equal and they're full. So it's a full inhalation, completely filling up the belly with air and then completely emptying the air out before taking another breath. Uh, I often remind people to soften with the exhalation and to give themselves room to expand on the inhalation. And so it's constant for me from mm. the very beginning to the very end of the practice, there's reminders, there's cues, not just on the actual physical poses, but very much so guiding people through the emotional process. Yeah, that's an important part. It, it, it is very personal and it does require yeah, a lot of trust. Yeah. And it's all about people feeling safe, as you say, creating a safe space. That's something that just seems to be part of the essential vernacular. When, when you're helping somebody, they need to know that they are safe. They need to know that they can trust you and they need to know that if they dare themselves in any small way to release any of the big boundaries or blocks that they've got built around them they need to know that they're going to be okay in your presence and I mean I know that my own experience with um, the, the clients that I've helped it, it's it's just super essential and when when they feel that sense of trust 
And so as you say, the subliminal messages are always really, really helpful because the confrontation style doesn't always work. Sometimes you've got to allow someone to just find that space and feel calm. And, and as you say, some people don't like closing their eyes and some people don't like sitting still. It's just completely unfamiliar. And they're the not closing the eyes is a fear. What, what's going to happen if I close my eyes? I can't, I, I can't tell what's going to happen around me. And that fear is enough to keep people on edge. And if you're dealing with people that have experienced a form of trauma or many traumas, that must make it even more important for you. Absolutely. And it's miraculous what I find that people are willing to reveal um, as you give them safe space and give them permission just, mm -hmm. to, just to be in their own personal authentic experience. Mm -hmm. I remember recently I was giving a workshop and we were talking about uh, safe space in the yoga studio. Mm -hmm. And as I mentioned earlier, Western yoga has just become this very uh, physical practice. There's not any emotional attachment. It's not focused. It's more, uh, I like to call it stupid human tricks. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, we can all make be, our bodies do very extraordinary things and mind over matter and all that's wonderful. But at the same time, think about how much you can accomplish when there's really deep connection. Mm -hmm. um, and I was speaking to a student who began sobbing because she had recalled a moment when she had a teacher single her out. And rather than giving her permission to experience the space she was in, uh, essentially barked at her mm -hmm. to go deeper, you know, let it go. What are you holding on to? What are you so afraid of? Why aren't you really, really pushing yourself to the edge? Why aren't you pushing yourself to the limit? And what I like to remind people is that sometimes the edge is just sitting in seated meditation. That's the edge. Mm. Sometimes the edge is just getting into the car to, yeah. to get yourself to yeah. the studio. That yeah. can be the edge. Yeah. yeah. I was about yeah. to suggest it. It can sometimes just be walking through that door to actually take yeah, that first step. Walking in. through the door. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. That's the first step. And I like to remind people when they step in the door and they sit down, you know, they, they, come flying in after parking the car and rushing and trying to get there on time and sitting down and huffing and puffing mm. I like to remind people you arrived yeah. and you've accomplished everything in the simple act of arriving yeah absolutely yeah that's that's really really sweetly put it's a it's a, a nice gesture of acknowledgement that sometimes we need to hear so in terms of what you do, we've certainly covered a few different areas there. And in terms of the what you do, who do you do it for? What's the driving force behind your, your choices in terms of your yoga and your trauma healing? What, who's the person that you, you see yourself helping the most? So really, that kind of goes back to my personal background. Mm -hmm. um, I grew up inner city in New York. I did not have the easiest upbringing. I was a latchkey kid. Uh, it, it was a difficult life. And I went through a lot of traumatic experiences. And the turning point for me was experiencing 9-11 and being in the city firsthand mm -hmm. during that experience. Um, and just really watching the city that I loved so deeply over the course of the next year really fall apart. Mm -hmm. And what people don't realize is they saw what happened that day. They didn't see what happened to New York City over the course of the next year. Mm -hmm. They didn't see the smoke billowing from those buildings for the next eight months. Mm -hmm. And they don't realize that those buildings, there was so much metal and so much heat, that fire kept going. And the stench that came with it was unbearable. Mm -hmm. 
and the structure of the city as a whole. I mean, you couldn't get onto a train or on public transportation, which most people rely on without seeing military personnel yeah. watching, you know, tanks go down a public street. This is not mm. something almost like it was a war zone. Mm. And it was very shocking and it put people in a really heightened state. Um, the turning point for me was I decided that there had to be more to life than the life that I had experienced and the life that I was living. And that kind of started my journey. I got up and I left New York with $97 in my pocket and a, a suitcase and mm. came out West and slowly began to um, miraculously connect with people that gave me permission to experience my own healing. Mm. And one after the other, it happened very organically and it's happened over time. It's taken a good 20 years to get to where I am. Mm -hmm. But the miracle of it all is I realized that there is a huge responsibility and a huge mission. Now I've made this discovery. There is, you know, there's a, there's a mirror at a studio that I love going to. And in the mirror, you look and it says guru in capital letters. Mm -hmm. Because the truth is, we're all our own guru. Mm. We, no one is going to save us. We're mm. responsible for saving ourselves. So the bigger part of my mission and the deeper part of where I go to is I work for a charity organization here. And uh, currently, we're restructuring and we're changing our mission with the hope and desire to bring yoga into marginalized communities. Mm. The thought wow. behind it being that if we are bringing yoga into Black, brown, LGBTQ plus communities where generally yoga is not um, an accepted practice because Western yoga is extremely expensive. It's, mm. it's not inclusive. It's not designed for all bodies. Well, if we can bring it into these communities and present it in a way where it's completely inclusive, representative of all cultures, all bodies, all human beings on this earth, well, what kind of change could that create and what kind of healing yeah. would take place with that? Yeah. Imagine as something as simple as an inner city child having a place where they could practice yoga on a daily basis and learning how to channel their, their own healing within themselves for whatever might be going on in their external lives. Mm -hmm. Well, that would just yeah. destroy the system because mm -hmm. we live in a system where we spend more money on prisons than on education. And especially where I'm here in, in Northern California, one of the uh, major prisons here, I believe it's over 74 or 73% of the population in that particular prison is under the age of 25. So it's absolutely heartbreaking to think. Mm -hmm. And these particular prisoners are allowed to practice yoga once a week, a select few as a privilege which to me is just That's ludicrous. Just wrong. Because what if we were just giving them this amazing, yeah. beautiful practice, affording the opportunity to feel and to develop this sense of self-worth and healing? What miraculous things could happen? How much of those people would we see going out and giving back into society rather than making their way back into the prison system? Yeah. yeah. So really yeah. my own healing has brought me to a much larger purpose and while this is, uh, this is a plan, all, it's been coming to fruition over the last year, and it's hopefully going to launch in Northern California in the next six months. Mm -hmm. Really, I think the concept is so uh, important. I can only see people throughout the country and throughout the world yes. wanting to adopt a model similar to what we're doing here. Yeah.
I think what you've described sounds incredible. Um, it certainly speaks to my personal um, view of the world that we need to be, one, more inclusive. Certainly we need to think in terms of a more global perspective from a healing point of view um, and what you speak of just to me instantly I saw that that's why why stop in California why not just take it to the world and obviously it's got to start somewhere but you know there's scope and I totally agree that if we were to take the principles of calmness the way that we can in, introduce that whether it be just through yoga or through um, binaural beat music or even you know Absolutely. all those different modalities there are so many of them that are really proven to be effective um, and you know when they use science to prove it you know it's a little hard to debate how you know how much value there would be in it when it's provable and it's demonstrated so many times over if we were to take those uh, modalities into the systems that need it the most we'd reduce recidivism. You wouldn't have people going back into prison. They would be able to, as you've spoken about, they'd be able to address a lot of their own fears, traumas, their health habits would change, their state of mind would change. They would see the world from a different perspective. It just would be a natural, as you say, organic flow on from, from the very start of the experience. So it makes sense to me. I only hope that I'm not the only person that sees it that way because I certainly think what you're doing sounds really awesome. I'm, I'm so impressed with the idea that, you know, you're looking to create a way to introduce something that I've seen certainly is expensive and certainly carried out in a certain way and, you know, certain studios do certain things. But if you take away a lot of those barriers to, um, accessibility what difference what difference it has that could be made it's it's it sounds quite amazing absolutely in the organization that I'm working with uh, one of the premises that they want to create is that we have these amazing incredible teachers who've spent hundreds of hours thousands of dollars on education the way that I have mm -hmm. really spent time doing the deep work on themselves and we're asking them to just show up and give their time. Yeah. What if we could take these incredible human resources and offer them a living wage, mm -hmm. a livable wage to go into communities and actually make it their life's work to really commit to making these changes? Mm -hmm. uh, I think the problem as, as a nation here, certainly, and as the world in general, we live in a capitalist society. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. there's no money in teaching people how to heal themselves. Mm -hmm. I mean, Think about the money we're taking away from big pharma by eliminating Absolutely. the need for antidepressants by using natural plant medicine and using things like movement and music, as you mentioned, binaural music to just bring us into different spaces. Yeah. We have so yeah. much focus on, uh, there's so much programming going on. Mm -hmm. You know, we sit there, spend our days working, 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 come home at the end of the day. What do we do? We pour a drink and sit in front of the television, sit in mm -hmm. front of the television watching violence and gore and all of these mm. things well if you keep feeding all of that into your mind imagine the state that we're in mm -hmm. if you keep feeding the things that would put us in a, a real space yeah. in a flight yeah. or fight mm -hmm. perspective yeah. then what are we doing with all of this synthetic garbage yeah and as a society that's what we feed off there's yeah, not totally. enough time spent in nature there's not enough time spent connecting with the earth there's not enough time spent connecting with the self. It's a, a constant need to uh, feed, to entertain, to 
keep busy when mm-hmm. often not doing anything at all yeah. and just simply being still can be some of the greatest healing that there, there is available, but yeah. people don't have the tools or the resources to know how to do that. Yeah. People go, I don't know how to meditate. Mm. And I tell people, well, sit down in a comfortable position. Okay. Start breathing. Okay. Do you have some thoughts coming up? Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, there you have it. You're meditating. Exactly. And a lot of times yeah. people will be shocked at the simplicity of it Yeah. Uh, because their expectation is that they have some guru like individual who has sold, you know, 500,000 copies of their New York times bestseller that is going to tell them how to live their life in mm. an effective way yeah. where really it's just simple. It's simple. Yeah. It's taking personal responsibility, Absolutely. It's applying simple techniques like breath work mm-hmm. to really allowing yourself to sit in the discomfort and move through your own personal issues. And if we yeah. all did that for, you know, 10, 20, 30 minutes a day, the result would be miraculous. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. It's, it's quite astounding. And I know I have these conversations, I wouldn't say daily, but pretty regularly. Um, and certainly Facebook um, in, in encourages some of these observations and conversations. And I noticed that a lot of people, um, when I say a lot of people, select certain groups of people that I'm aware of who truly feed off TV drama and it's got to be drama and it's even the reality programs have to be high drama it has to be um, a lot of bitchiness it has to be a lot of someone's picking on somebody else someone else is arguing with somebody else and it's all about who's making a you know a mistake and who's feeding on that mistake and it's it and when television builds on that for the ratings a lot of people are so drawn into that because it's escapism. They don't want to have to face their own problems. They can probably relate to what they're seeing on the screen. It makes them feel okay because, oh, that's how I am too, or I would never do that. That's, that's, you know, I've seen that behavior and that's just not, not enough. It's not good enough, but they still get caught up in it. And because they're so caught up in it, they're not capable because they've just lost the capacity to sit comfortably, sit quietly, turn the TV off, and think there's another way to see these problems. We don't need drama in our world. What if we just center ourselves? What if we, as you say, sit quietly, deep breathe, and just allow the thoughts just to muddle through the head? It's as simple as that. As you say, meditation does not have to be the big guru stuff. It is just the simplicity of learning to breathe. And one of the things I've also observed, and I wonder if this is something that you've also uh, observed yourself, a lot of people don't breathe properly anyway. We're shallow breathers. And, yes, and I find no. one of the things I think I think personally this is what I find quite comical, and I mean it in a almost a sarcastic way, that you go to a doctor and they put the stethoscope on you and they go, okay, so breathe, and they're switching it around really quickly on you. And it's like I breathe like half the time that they've moved it, I'm still breathing in. And it's like, yeah. I feel like I've got to really like hyperventilate just to sort of catch up with when they're saying, hey, breathe, breathe in. I don't breathe fast like that. I've, wow. I've, over the periods of the years that I've been practicing, my breath is quite controlled and slow. So when they're telling me, I'll oh, breathe in, breathe in, it's like, I find that actually quite confronting. And it makes me question, do they, do they maybe not understand that breathing should be really controlled and slow and healthy and regulated? And something and that you're in tune with. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. You know, I have um, 
a friend of mine who was a smoker for many years. And just the process of smoking was something that she found so therapeutic. Mm. And it was really in specific times of day that she found it therapeutic. One, getting up in the morning and stepping outside with her coffee and her first cigarette of the day. And uh, the other time she found it very therapeutic was when she got off work Mm -hmm. and she would get home and she'd pour herself a glass of wine and she'd light up a cigarette and she'd go outside. Well, the comical part is the two times of day that were her favorite cigarette have been replaced with yoga. Okay. And she realized one day during her practice, the reason she loves yoga so much and that she was so attached to smoking, she was breathing deep. Mm-hmm. So she was taking full inhalations and mm-hmm. exhalations when she was smoking. She was breathing thoughtfully and mindfully mm-hmm. by function of the cigarette not realizing and this cigarette of course was creating in turn an addiction and a crutch Um, but when she let go of the other external parts of it and just focused on the breathing Mm -hmm. something miraculous happened and through that she found that yoga really was such a healing modality for her and she started focusing more and more on breathing techniques and that's something that I'm tremendously focused on. And in the beginning of many of my classes, I will start with uh, an unfamiliar breathing technique, often something that might even create discomfort or Mm -hmm. bring things up to the surface because as human beings, we don't breathe. Yeah. And I teach, I teach breath work the first five minutes of class. And it's amazing. There are times where I'll have music playing and I'll turn the music off and I'll go, do you hear yourself breathe? And there'll be crickets in the room. And I will encourage everyone to continue breathing say, make it loud, make it noisy. Let the breath be the music. Mm. The breath is what carries you through the practice. The breath is what carries you through life. I often say Mm. during the practice, if at any time you feel lost, come back to the breath. Mm. And the same is true for life. If any time in life you feel lost, you come back to the breath. The breath will heal. It will calm. It will center. Um, But that truly is what yoga is. Yoga is not simply a practice that takes place for the 60, 75 minutes that you spend on a mat in a studio, it's the practice of your entire life. Mm. It's, it's more so about what you do when you're off that mat than what you're doing on that mat. Mm. It's almost symbolic, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really quite sad to really notice that we, we don't breathe. Um, most of what I do, whenever I do anything um, associated with working with clients is the breath work and like I've obviously explored it in a lot of different ways that I do the, the work that I do but breathing is just critical it's like if you don't breathe you die literally if you don't breathe you die so why are we breathing shallow breath and it's often to it, it starts out often with trauma and, and fear and anxieties and um, disconnection to the body and dissociations and all sorts of different things like that but once we get back into perhaps functioning we don't break that habit and we don't realise that we're not breathing deeply, we're not releasing the tensions that's held in the diaphragm and in the shoulders and in the neck and in the lungs and all of those things. So, yeah, I I totally understand how breathing is just an essential, an essential part of any practice, but it represents life. It is life. So it's such a a vital thing. We call it pranayama. The word prana itself means life force. Mm, We're using our life force. And what I find very interesting is when I teach breath, I say, fill up through the nostrils, 
begin to feel the chest expand, the ribs separate, fill up past the diaphragm and deep into the belly, all the mm. way into the pelvic floor. Mm. And just when you feel you're full, sip in a little more air. Mm. I, I've said that that's now taken me what, four seconds to say? Yeah. Yeah. How many people do you know take a four second inhale mm -hmm. and then take a four second exhale? Yeah. Not very many because mm. as human beings, we're taught to rush through everything. Breathing, mm -hmm. breathing is just secondary. It's something that just happens naturally without yeah. conscious effort. Yeah. Um, a lot of the times people go, oh, I'm having a lot of anxiety and mm -hmm. you know, I'm sitting in traffic. I'll say, well, while you're sitting in traffic, practice your pranayama breathing and see mm -hmm. if it makes a difference. Yeah. And oftentimes people will say, oh, it's so, it's so calming. My drive mm -hmm. went so much faster. Yeah. I didn't yeah. have the experience of feeling road rage like they normally mm -hmm. do. So really yeah. the, the simplicity of breath is just miraculous. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We've covered off quite a lot of really fascinating twists and turns in this conversation. That's just such a, an important thing to discuss at any level. Um, the, the value of trauma healing and, and you know, even the, the modality that's involved. And in your case, you, you know, practicing so many um, amazing aspects of yoga and, and helping people to understand the importance of breath. So we, we've shared with the audience, you know, what it is you do and who you do it for. What's What's the big driver? Why do you do it? And I know we've sort of covered this off, but what's the one big driving force for you? The one big driving force for me is it took me the greater part of 37 years to love myself, mm. to accept myself, to know that the physical existence that I have is divine and perfect mm. and a gift. And it took me that long to be able to accept myself. And I look back and I think to myself, I, I look at pictures of when I was in my twenties and I was real thin. And I would criticize every aspect and every inch of my body. Mm. And I look now and I go, oh, you poor girl, you were in so much pain. You were hurting so deeply that mm. you would criticize yourself. Mm. Thinking about all the years of the negative self-speak mm -hmm. of criticizing everything from you know, not uh, pushing myself hard enough in my career to something as simple as I'm not a good mother. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it took me 37 years to get beyond those lies, to get past mm -hmm. them, to really dive deep in, enough into myself to say every single day, I love who I am. Mm -hmm. I accept yeah. who I am wholeheartedly. I'm human. I might make mistakes, but I'm wonderful at what I do for a living. Mm -hmm. I'm an exceptional mother and I'm a beautiful human being who's yeah worthy of love mm -hmm. and kindness and acceptance and so if I discovered that all on my own so many years ago with with the work that I have done then it's absolutely my life's mission to share that with ev everyone mm -hmm. deserves to feel that way yeah. everyone deserves to have deep interconnection to know that they are not defined by their trauma but their trauma is rather a gift that mm -hmm. will help them define their life path and, and, and find healing and find growth. And I, I look at trauma the same way that I look at, you know, we go to the gym, we work out, what do we do? Mm -hmm. We break down the muscle tissue. We break down the muscle tissue. It comes back, it comes back stronger, right? So think about it the same way. Your heart breaks, you feel trauma, you feel pain. You get on the other side of that. You come back so much stronger. Oh, yeah. yeah. And Absolutely. if I can just share that with one person, just one single human being on this earth, then I can feel like I've, I've really accomplished something that I've really 
served a purpose, but I've been fortunate enough to keep finding opportunities where I can share this with people over and over and over mm -hmm. again. And mm -hmm. I've watched other people in their own healing step into a space of saying, well, this is clearly a reciprocal practice. So now I have to go out in the world and share this with others as well. Mm -hmm. um, so really that's my why at the end of the day, like we all deserve to feel whole. We all mm -hmm. deserve to feel free of pain and of suffering. We all deserve to know that there is great joy and abundance for each and every one of us. And that this pain and this suffering is just a stepping stone to that great joy and that great abundance. And we can mm -hmm. all experience that if we're willing to just do the work and look within ourselves and, and find our way. And that work comes from within, truly from mm -hmm. within. There's no psychiatrist, there's no psychologist, there's no therapist, there's no doctor, there's no medicine on this earth that can cure you of what you are suffering from. Really, it comes on you first. Yeah. And I think that that does speak a lot to having the the awareness and and most often many people don't operate with any level of self-awareness there's there's right. minor minor surface awareness um but when it comes to that deep dive stuff as you we were talking about very early on very few people are either aware that there are levels levels and layers within themselves to to peel away and dive through uh and and oftentimes never feel safe enough to do it so if the reciprocation through the yogic practice and the meditation and the trauma healing, if someone that's been in your uh, teachings goes out into the world and is just a really wholesome, whole, loving individual, that in itself is a ripple effect. If we take away all of that anxiety, the fear, the, the judgment, the criticism, whether it's within ourselves or directed at others, whatever that is that's going on, if we're operating in a space that's more healed and more whole and and more at peace in ourselves because we're breathing and we're more self-aware and our bodies are more um, part of a, um, a state of self, what's the word I'm thinking? It's when, when you're just completely um, at one with yourself. It's, it's your body is, is part of the mind, soul, body, heart connection it's the whole Absolutely. interconnectedness and if people are taking that away and going out into society with that what a difference it'd make and imagine that ripple effect across the, the the entire global village i always say hurt people hurt people mm -hmm. healed people heal people yeah yeah absolutely i totally echo that and and i think we need a lot more people in the healed space and, and going through healing, sharing that and, you know, giving into the community and, and as you say, reciprocating, because I think we're in that, that place in our world right now where I think personally, just the observations that I've made, there's a lot of crisis and a lot of conflict happening and Absolutely. there's a lot, of, a lot of divisiveness as well. And we need to come back to whole. We need to come back to not only our whole self, but the whole global village, we are all one. We, where is that? Where is it gone? And now is that time? And, you know, that's why I, I felt that it was timely that we have this conversation. And I just want to ask one last question. Um, what's your one big wish for humanity? Oh, that's a, that's a good one. 
Well, I think my one big wish for humanity is that we all uh, come to a true realization and understanding that we are more alike than we are different. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, yeah. you, you cut, you, you bleed red, I cut, I bleed red. Mm -hmm. And yet we are very different people. We live in different countries. We are different ages. We are different cultures. Um, but I think that there can be something tremendous accomplished if we move away from societal constructs of mm. race, mm. gender, mm. Of, of expectation that yeah. as a human being, who I am is supposed to be the embodiment of what society says that I am. Mm. So if we can let go of all of those labels and realize that we are all just beautiful human lives, oftentimes at the end of class, I'll say that we are not um, human beings having a spiritual experience, mm. but rather we are spiritual beings having a human experience yeah. as, as a human family. And so my one great wish for society is that we can all come to that realization and come to that understanding that we are more alike than we are different. And I think yeah. through that understanding, there would likely be less conflict. Mm. There would be more acceptance. There would be yeah. more understanding. Yeah. Um, I think if we could all find ourselves in that particular space, and I think one of the things that's tremendous and brought me to where I am is that many of the, somebody at some point gave me permission to accept who I am. Mm -hmm. They held a safe space for me and allowed me to come to that realization on my own. Mm -hmm. And that's a person who looked extremely different from me, a person who had a very different life from me. But I noticed that that person did that and another person did that and another person did that. And so I look at the collective of all of the great teachers that I have had the pleasure of experiencing. Um, and I've been reminded a few things. Our healing is not linear. Mm. It is cyclical. Yeah. And it is a personal responsibility to continue the healing process. While I sit here and I talk about love and self-acceptance, it doesn't mean that I'm free from negative self-talk this is a mm. daily practice for me yeah. there there I'm constantly a work in progress I'm constantly working on myself um so I think it's important that we all realize that in this practice of love and acceptance it's not only the external and accepting others around us but accepting ourselves mm. yeah. um, really ending the societal narrative that's been created mm. for whoever we are mm. and from that I think a lot of acceptance and change will trickle out into the rest of the world mm -hmm. it can all it can only do good and it can mm -hmm. only bring us all closer together and create greater acceptance yeah that would be an awesome experience to witness and i wish it was something that i could witness in my lifetime and if i might I not witness it yeah if i might not witness it i'd like to at least contribute to it so yes if i were to ask you and excuse me <clears throat> the last question is uh where can people find you what links can they look for uh, so you can find me in a couple of places. Currently, I'm teaching at Breathe and Balance Yoga in Lincoln, California, and the website for them is breatheandbalanceyoga.com. Mm -hmm. uh, my bio is there as well as my class offerings, uh, as well as um, on Instagram. So on Instagram, you can follow me. My Instagram handle is at shakti.evolution. And with that, the charity organization I work for, Yoga Moves Us, which their Instagram handle is at Yoga Moves Us. Mm -hmm. You can find a lot of my classes saved on their Instagram. Uh, one of the miraculous mm -hmm. things was during the pandemic, 
I was afforded this beautiful opportunity to go online and bring my teachings online as so mm. many of us were locked in our homes and unable to go out and experience studio teaching. Yeah. Um, so it was a beautiful way for me to experience. So all of those wonderful classes are saved on their Instagram and in their Instagram collection. And mm. as where, where I am here, as we move into the uh, colder months, it's starting to get chilly there'll be uh, likely less outdoor offerings since I live in a very, um, we're, we're in Northern California, everything's outdoors. We're mm -hmm. a lot of outdoor activities, outdoor yoga. So soon here, you'll start seeing more online offerings. Mm -hmm. um, and I like to present those through my Instagram mm -hmm. because it's just a nice, easy way for me to offer small snippets and videos as well as full hour length videos on sure. um, yoga and breath work and all of the things that I offer. Fantastic. Awesome. Now that sounds really good and totally, I think we've all gotten used to things going online of late and, you know, I think yes. it's, it's become part of the, um, the everyday way of experiencing things now. So uh, I think that's awesome that people will be able to find these links. I'll include them in the descriptions in both the YouTube channel and the podcast. So they'll be easy for people to access. So Michelle, it's been fabulous. What a lovely conversation. I really appreciate that you've taken the time to be on Voice on Fire today. And uh, yeah, I just, I look forward to seeing the amazing movement that you've got uh, progressing that will be available next year. Absolutely, Terry. Thank you so much for including me on, on this incredible podcast so that I can continue spreading my message and offering information. And I hope that, you know, this connects with just one person who, who can really take away some, some really valuable information and look towards a change in their own life. Absolutely. I totally agree. And I look forward to sharing this message with the Voice on Fire audience. Thank you, Michelle. Have a lovely evening. Thank you so much, Terry. Enjoy the rest of your night. You're watching or listening to Voice on Fire interviews with intention. If you're new to Voice on Fire interviews, you'll hear from everyday amazing people on a mission to make a difference. These people are change agents, action takers, and difference makers, having a positive impact on their local community or across our global village. Don't forget to subscribe and click the notification bell for updates on new interviews. I hope you enjoy.